Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to AMTV Radio. This is the podcast where I'm joined by a very special guest each time, and we chat about whatever the hell we want to, quite frankly. And today, I am joined by a member of the Doctor Who community, both on social media and on YouTube. I'm joined by Furbon Who, or as I know him, as Lewis. How you doing, man? No, call me only Furbon Who. Okay, we're no not, problem. We're not on there that level go. yet. First step, first step. <laughs> yeah, so please call me Lewis. Anyone, I've had people call me Ferb in real life, and it's, I find it very weird. But hello, <laughs> it's very nice to be here. Thank you for the invite. No problem. Happy for you to be here. And uh, well, starting on that, I've just got to ask, where where did the name Furbon Who come from then? For your <laughs> was, was that something that started with your YouTube channel, or does this go further back? It goes a, a, a way back, a long oh, way right. back. So yeah. Ferb is from where you would think it is, which is um, Phineas and Ferb. Great show. Kids, great show. Kids animated. It's a great show. I think it's on Netflix. If you want to go and, and watch it now, oh no, yeah. Disney Plus. Disney Plus. They're, yeah. Go and go and. It's still funny. It's still good. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just revealing already that I watch children's TV. Hey, it's stuff adult. we grew up on, man. It's it's cool. Nostalgia. Nostalgia exactly. gives us a, an out of anything. But mm-hmm. sorry, go on. <laughs> um. So we were trying to come up with me and my sister an Xbox game attack. You remember those? <laughs> oh yeah. For my brand new Xbox 360, which probably dates this to like 2006 <laughs> or Mate, something. You're, you're speaking my you're speaking my <laughs> era, but please by all means. <laughs> um, and we thought it was very funny at, at that time. To um, we really liked the character Ferb particularly because he didn't say anything um in the show or said one line so we called the xbox game attack was ferb is fit one two three which we thought was very funny as as five (laughs) five and eight year olds or whatever we were sure sure. um and then like i said online everyone would just call me ferb because obviously the the name is too long um and it just kept going on and then there was a youtube channel which i'm not going to say the name of (laughs) uh, a long time ago and it's just stuck the entire way through for all sorts of different social medias and so it's, I'm just Ferb now. I don't have a I don't have a choice. That's mad. That's so fun. Because I mean, uh, for as long as I've known you and we've chatted before, like I I have I have always wondered. I was like, I wonder where where Ferb com- where Ferb comes from. But there you go. People listening, you've you've heard the origins of uh, exactly. the Ferb on who name. And I completely understand about the Xbox gamer tag. When I got mine, <laughs> uh, oh, this is so embarrassing. So I wanted to be, and I don't know where this came from. I wanted to be Kickass Ads one one eight. Which I thought, you know, wow. as like a 12, 13-year-old, I was like, that's a, that's a pretty solid name. You know, it's it's punchy, it's kick-ass. And, you know, 118, I think, was that old... Do you remember like, the 118 adverts with the men? 118. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought I, I was going to... Yeah. I was thinking, why why would you want to include that? <laughs> I think I know a lot of my mates had it in their gamer tag, so I was like, oh, well, I've got to have 118 in it as well. You know when it was like Call of Duty clans and stuff and like you had to mm-hmm. have the clan... So I wanted that, but of course Xbox and Microsoft seeing the word ass were like, no, no, like that's that's uh, a naughty yeah. word. Mm-hmm. And what I should have done is the easier. I should have taken the two S's of ass and made them dollar signs. Um, yeah. But I didn't because I was a dumb kid. So or instead, a four I... for the A, four exactly. for the A would have worked as well. So many options, you see. And instead, I just decided, oh, I'll just be kick ads one one eight, which it's not, it's not the same. Doesn't have <laughs> it doesn't have the same punch. No. So that that got me like a bit of stick from my mates been like oh yeah what a name and i i just never changed it so yeah i mean it's defunct now so before anyone tries no you can't add me on xbox 360 i don't play it anymore (laughs) don't have xbox live either but so i know what you mean i think that was just a generational thing wasn't it everyone wanted a name that was like 
or we thought sounded well, cool or like edgy or funny and now we all look back yeah. and we're like oh god <laughs> the thing is for those unaware i don't know if it's the case anymore but it cost you a lot of money to change your name it did wasn't it like 800 microsoft points which was like how much was it that was like, that was it was like 15 20 quid or something like that which is crazy name, which, as a like, kid as a yeah. kid you're not going to do that and you can't convince your parents to, no. <laughs> to give you the money for that you know yeah so once you've made your bad decision once that's it you're screwed that's it you're stuck i mean it's mental isn't it like now on twitter you can change your display name like on a, imagine if you had to pay mm-hmm. to change your twitter display yeah name. like that'd be it's how they got away with it like you say for 15 quid for a name change is is unreal but alas those well I yeah think both yeah. of us both of us did well well because we didn't put xx at the start and the end of our game attack <laughs> that's true so. I, I was tempted i must admit but i thought nah i can't be <laughs> doing with the can't be doing with the x's and it was always one small x then a big x mm-hmm. and then another small x. where did yeah, all these yeah. things come like it's so weird isn't it like where did this start um it's a good question but they we're not we're not smart enough to answer it on this podcast that's really deep no. Or you Deeper modern discussion. kids with your Nintendo Switches and your PS5s that no one actually owns because <laughs> no one can actually buy one. I mean, I don't know how much of like into the gaming scene you are now, but I think that that whole thing with the PS5 is crazy at the minute. The whole, you know, Sony's like, yeah. oh, we sold 10 million. And everyone's like, did you? <laughs> Have you really? Well, 10 million across the world isn't that many, is it? You know, I suppose that's... not. Compared to the, the population, that's one every like thousand or something like that. Yeah. So... Well, that's not correct maths, by the way. Don't don't. <laughs> no, I know that's not right. Yeah. Um, I know someone that has an Xbox One. Oh um, right. Because there was a whole thing around that as well, wasn't there? An was. Xbox, not Xbox One. Xbox X is that what it's called? What? The new one. The the yeah, the one that looks like an old PC tower, basically that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah massive brick. Yeah. But there was the whole thing with that was meant to set on fire. Someone put a vape yeah. through it or something to make it look like it was smoking. <laughs> Of, well, that yeah, person's that was just a moron, quite frankly. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's just damn. exactly. But yeah, modern gaming, eh? But um, I mean, I didn't think we get on to modern gaming, but there you go. That's the nature of this podcast. But um, just going back then to um, to yourself as a creator. So um, you started the current YouTube channel you have, Furbon Who, in well, your first video, or as I always say, the first public video, because you know people mm-hmm. might private stuff or unlist stuff. Um, comes from July 2019, so not all that long ago, uh, and I believe it, it really? was the infamous Doctor Who, but it's out of context, <laughs> and he's already chuckling. Yes. Yeah. So where yeah. was that? Was that the first video for the Furbon Who channel, or are there others that have since been wiped out, privated, etc.? I only have one private video, oh, okay. and I don't know if that came just before or just after right. that one, but pretty much that's my first proper video and yeah. it was it's very interesting actually because you look at it now and i don't know what it, it's on 150,000 views or something mm. ridiculous like that yeah yeah um, i uploaded that and just forgot it existed or i just did it for a laugh because i'd seen a few of those kind of videos online and yeah um and then maybe f- five months later because this it was on about 100 views or 50 views or something sure like that sure for all that time and I'd just forgotten it existed and moved on with my life. And then five months later, suddenly it's on a thousand views and then three thousand <laughs> views. And I don't know where it came from. I guess someone found it funny and shared it, and it just snowballed like that. But Something it was quite interesting. It, it went from nothing to just yeah. And now 
those first couple are on about 150,000 each, I think. I was going to say, because you made a few of them. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, you know, I'd, I think a lot of us would probably do the same. And they are good. Like, and they, it's such, it's so funny when you look at it. Because, yeah, a lot of those scenes out of context are really weird. Like, the one that always stood out to me, because I rewatched some today, uh, sure. was it's the scene from Planet of the Ood, when he just starts, like, vomiting out the yeah ear. yeah if you just yeah. show that to someone it's like oh my <laughs> god what kind of show is doctor who like some yeah. really dodgy but but what um what inspired you to make that video then as you say was it just oh you'd seen someone you wanted to like do your own spin on it i'd i've been making videos on various now privated or deleted channels sure. for a long time about all sorts of different things my first ever video came uh October the 31st 2012 on my wow. first ever YouTube channel so I've, I've been around for quite a while doing different stuff so whenever I vaguely have an interest in making something I just make it because it just seems pretty natural to me yeah and yeah I think I I think I literally just was I can't remember which episode but I was just watching an episode of Dot 2 and thought that would be really weird out of context and it just went from there yeah. um and then, yeah, it just naturally snowballed. There's a bit of a, a running joke in them as well now. Not that I've made one in a while, but of uh, the boom moment mm. with uh, Sophie Aldred's ace shouting boom in, in Battlefield. Yes. Uh, and the yeah. way it's directed is very odd. And it so is a bit you, odd, isn't it? <laughs> you don't even need... You don't have to even take it out of context for it to be weird. And I think that's where those the best clips come from in those um videos is the ones that actually are quite weird even in context yeah um, there's loads of moments especially in classic who like that i mean sure. I, funnily yeah. enough uh, the day yesterday before we re we're recording this i decided to re-watch him the greatest show in the galaxy so from around that great same story. era great story absolutely and um i think it's the cliffhanger for part three it's when is it part three i can't remember one of the cliffhangers it's where mags has just you know turned into a werewolf and she's like threatening the doctor and the captain's like taunting him and all that um and there's a great shot of mags's face like in close-up you know with all the makeup and the teeth and yeah. the eye and it looks great and you mm -hmm. think that's your clip you know that's your cliffhanger shot right there but then for some reason it cuts away to a weird close-up of Sylvester sort of looking off camera but sort of like doing this like he's morbidly disgusted yes. at something Vin yeah, yeah. if you're listening on audio you're missing out um but yeah um it, it, <laughs> but it's just it's a very odd shot it just looks very bizarre and you just think yeah. oh why didn't you end on the I mean I guess the classic example at all the cliff or nearly all the cliffhangers in Trial of a Time Lord which infamously yes. are just zoom-ins of poor Colin Baker's face um yeah, so you could probably take all those out of context, just show them in sequence, like, what is going on? There is actually one of, it's not one of the out of context videos, but one of the videos, I'm YouTube poop, if you want to call it, that I made, yeah. where I did kind of put those in, but just at random moments through the video. So every minute or so, yeah, you get one of those Colin Baker zooms. But I don't think I've done the one from The Greatest Show, so um, I might have yeah. to nick that now. That's No, no, feel free. Me. As I say, it's just... I mean, the cliffhanger's fine in itself. It's just a very odd shot to finish on, I think. It's mm. just like you had this great shot of Mags and then you just you cut away to poor Sylv sort of doing yeah, that with yeah. his face. And you're like, okay, you're, yeah. You're spot on in um, what you were saying about the difference between classic and, um, and modern Who with the out-of-context videos. With the classic ones, you can just take moments of like bad special effects or bad direction and just... Sure put it in there the modern ones you do have to actually take it out of context to make yes. it funny yeah most of yeah. the time um but yeah the boom just became a, a running <laughs> joke 
uh, people <laughs> loved it in the comments. I, I just put the clip in and I didn't do anything clever with it. Yeah. And then just so many comments were just the words boom in all boom. caps. <laughs> and I thought people find that funny, so I've got to include it. So it's in all of the, the out of context videos somewhere now. I like that. It's a running gag, running gag. Exactly. And I like what you said earlier as well about how making content for you is like a very natural thing. Like, you know, you have mm. something you want to make and then you make it. Um, mm. Obviously, like you said, you've had other channels that are now privated or deleted, which is completely valid. Um, but um, could you tell us like what sort of videos you used to make or? Sure. Um, the very first video was called Minecraft Hardcore Parkour. Oh, a Minecraft video. Ah, I see. <laughs> and it was made on a software called EasyVid, which right. some YouTubers of a while back might be familiar with. It's a free-to-use software. It's like OBS, but much, much worse. Um, <laughs> right. And it's horrible to edit with. How an <laughs> 11-year-old me managed to work with it, I don't know. I'm impressed with myself. Um, but essentially what I did was I did this parkour, but I couldn't do it in one go. Um, right. For anyone that doesn't know what Minecraft parkour is, this bit's going to be very confusing, by the way. <laughs> I'm not going to explain it. I'm you're going to have to all go on. and Google that whilst you're listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I couldn't do it, so I would just cut at the right moment to make it look okay. like I did this whole parkour in one guy. <laughs> and that's all the video was. It was, it was wow. awful. Um, <laughs> and so it was... At the time, I was... You, you know, people are still going now, but people like Captain Sparkles and... Jacksepticeye and yeah, what I don't yeah. think he come come about much yet, but they did lots of different games. So they play uh, Minecraft and Happy Wheels, if you remember that one. Yes, of course, um, yeah. And things like that. So I would just make videos playing those sorts of things with my my high pitched child's voice. So no one would <laughs> want to watch it, but I just enjoy making it. Yeah. Um, then it went into uh, wrestling content eventually. Oh, I had a okay. separate channel all about that for a little while. Yeah. Um, which I think is still public. So if anyone really <laughs> right. wants to, if anyone really wants to <laughs> if dig, you can, they if can you try can their find best. It, yeah. <laughs> if you can guess the name and find it, then um, it's up there. Um, but just anything, really, anything I was interested in. So yeah, a bit of, a bit of video games, a bit of wrestling, nice. a bit of football. Yeah. And uh, and now onto Doctor Who. Nice. Oh no, I like that. I admire that. The the wrestling channel's not called WW Fur by any chance, is it? <laughs> that's uh better than the actual answer. oh right <laughs> so it just popped in my head i was like oh my god what if that's the name but alas yeah you'll you'll have to keep hunting folks that's a big challenge um so doctor who then like on on the current channel on Furbon who um, even though it's only been around for just over two years now you've managed to cover quite a lot of different uh kinds of videos on the channel like you know you started off with the out of context stuff like sort of meme based like almost youtube poop style uh, but you've also done like rankings, tier lists, podcasts, reactions. So you've covered a lot of ground. For, for you yourself as the creator, is there one video or a series of videos that serve as like a particular highlight for you personally? Um, definitely the the reaction videos that we do now. The lockdown yeah. reactions, as they're called. It's not really a fitting name anymore because we're not in lockdown. But uh, I, I think maybe the next one we'll have to change that. We'll have to come up with a new name. But um, for me... I think it's partially because of how long they take to make and how much sure. effort has to go into them. I mean, we're talking about maybe 15, 20 hours of, of work for each one mm. of them. So there's a sense of pride automatically in that, um, regardless of how good they are. But I, I do really like them. And you can tell from the the, the, um, the viewing 
numbers but also the interactions that sure. people like those more than everything else um oh, fun. You, i should say the out of context stuff because obviously that's the ones that people like the most yes um, given the you know huge number of views compared to everything else and all the likes and comments but yeah the reaction videos for me if someone asked me you know what should i watch on their channel um i like a good um tier list or review or discussion or whatever they're always fun but to me those yeah. are easy videos that i could anyone could whip up in a few hours and sure, you can find sure. them you can find them somewhere else you don't have to come to my channel to to get a dot two tier list but sure, you do I hear have you. to it's like you, yeah. you have to come to my channel for the those lockdown reactions you know? no i hear you yeah because i guess like with top tens and tier lists it's like yeah you are getting uh different opinions depending on which channel you go to but i get what you mean it's like the the format itself is quite familiar yeah. it's, been, it's been done sort of thing where no, I was very much the same. Like with a, I I do the series on viewing figures, which you know, I to my knowledge, uh, I don't think anyone else had done sort of in the depth that I do it to. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I get what you mean about sort of finding your little like niche within the Who community, which if anyone wants to try, is actually easier said than done. Like because obviously yeah. there's so many, there's so mu many niches you could delve into, but a lot of them have just already been done and done well as well. Don't get me wrong, like there's loads of great. Uh, creators out there who've done niche Doctor Who things well, like uh, uh, Josh Nares, for example, with his missing episode mm -hmm. stuff. Like that, that stuff's great, and um, yeah, it's nice to see. So with the with the lockdown reactions, then was that were you inspired at all by the uh, the viewings that were happening on social media, the sort of Doctor Who lockdown uh, watch-alongs, as they were? It's a good question. I'm not sure what came first. Um... Yeah, uh, so I'm not I'm not sure if I could have been chronologically. Um, I think I'm not sure what I was inspired by. I think partially it was looking at reaction videos, dot two reaction videos that exist yeah. at the moment, and yeah. not being very happy with them myself. It's not to knock the people that make them, and there's an audience no, sure. for it that really sure. like them, um, but it wasn't for me. And I thought there's got a there's a more interesting way of of doing this because sure, I like sure. the idea. Of watching somebody to me it's a very similar appeal to watching uh, a gaming walkthrough as they used to be called um or a let's play um yeah. it is you're kind of just watching somebody else react to something that, that sure, you already yeah. like or you already know about but yeah that, that was partially it and i was thinking is there a better way of doing this it's obviously using the template of gogglebox to a degree which is on channel four i think sure, um yeah so that was a bit of an inspiration. But I don't know if, if the... It's been so long, I'm not sure exactly uh, yeah, which one came I'd, first. And after cross dates, I think the first lockdown like social media one, I want to say was the 21st of March last year, because it was Day of the Doctor, wasn't it? It was the first one, I think. Uh, I'm going so to have to Google my own YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I've got, it, I've got it up myself, actually, just in <laughs> case I needed to look back. So let me have a look when that uh could have been see this is uh this is was it the was it the rose one rose was first so that was the 9th of may oh so that was after, okay yeah in may last year oh maybe it was um, a subconscious thing maybe it wasn't an active maybe. thing but yeah i mean it, hey it was lockdown we were all doing various different things weren't we during that crazy crazy time which is well exactly yeah. yeah you have a captive audience as well when you go to somebody at that period in time and say do you want to do this they've got a lot less reasons to say no exactly um, yeah you can kind of force people into doing the, these videos <laughs> and they're genuine you know people are genuinely bored so if you yeah. went to them, do yeah. you want to film yourself watching some doctor who for an hour most people go yeah, go on then 
Yeah, I think it was, in a way, obviously, like, you know, with the pandemic and lockdown, you know, it brought a lot of bad things. No one's denying that. But I think in terms of, like, YouTube and for creatives, it it gave people a chance to maybe work with people they'd wanted to for a while or people they thought they'd never get otherwise. Like, part of the reason why I started this podcast, in fact, in uh, August of last year was partly, like you say, it's lockdown. And I thought, well, what better time to try and reach out to people and, you know, fill an hour of their day or and it, you know, it's, um, I think it worked that way for a lot of people in lockdown. So I think that was, that was a benefit really. Um, but yeah, so what was, uh, have you got more reactions in, in the pipeline? You're still working on them? Yeah, we've gotten to a really nice, um, comfortable point where we basically got the same group of people each time. Um, if you, you, all you have to do is scroll through the channel and see the thumbnails to see that for the first like four or five episodes, you've got different people every time. Uh, bar one or two kind of regulars sure but we've gotten to a point now where i think we've there's some people we've we've got in that have really enjoyed them and are just happy to keep doing them um so we're at a, a good pace where we're just making a one say every two months and um we're just we're rolling through series two at the moment um we just released the girl in the fireplace a few days ago um which might be the, the my favorite one that we've done so far um oh, nice. really in, enjoyed that um i'm kind of it sounds stupid but the uh the copyright rules are very <laughs> ridiculous yes for anyone who doesn't know that that doesn't make videos it's very difficult to figure out how to get around those uh, yes. the best way of doing it and I, I we've gotten to a point now where we can the, Good. the best way we can so uh you'll notice if you watch that one there are a lot of longer clips that make the the whole thing a, a more cohesive thing to watch Oh, that's good. It, you're absolutely right. It's so difficult um, because even though there's rough guidelines, but it, it's they're not really that clear on like, you know, obviously mm. we cite fair use, which is a valid cause. You know, we're transforming yeah. the content like reactions with commentary or in my mm. case, like I'll use clips, but I'll be talking underneath them. You can't hear the audio. So therefore it's transformative. But YouTube Half the time, or I should say the people who strike the videos, half the time either yeah. just ignore that completely. And I think mm-hmm. I think the problem is the power is with the claimant. There's no middle, like YouTube doesn't act as a middle influence to sort of judge the situation. It's just the claimant claims you. And I could say, oh, but look, fair use and be absolutely justified. But because they're the one with the finger over the button, they could just be like, nah. We'll, we'll do that. And, and it happens so often. You know, I think we've all seen it happen so often to creators, big and small. And it's just, um, I mean, to put it bluntly, I think it's an abuse of power, really, um, in my opinion, yeah, to some degree. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to start, I'm not going to whip out a Copyright Designs and Patents Act hmm. 1988 and turn this into some, uh, I don't want to get the show sure, off on, sure. a, yeah. on a too boring <laughs> start. But... Um, but you're right. There's a there's a problem there. There's a distinct problem there. And I mean, I've been on the phone with with people at BBC Studios. And oh wow! You've gone that far, and uh, yeah, it's they can do what they want essentially, which is true of a lot of the internet. I think the more that you try and do anything of significance on the internet, you the more you realise that it really is a a wild west. And that's mostly because the people that that pass laws and, and acts in Congress or in in the UK in Parliament. Um, are very old and very detached from current society and and yeah. they don't the internet isn't 
they don't know about it enough to to sort it out properly so really it is um it's very yeah. it is the wild west you can just do whatever you want um, yeah. and and those yeah it it really means that there are rules but there aren't laws for a lot of this stuff yeah yeah and i think you're right about that detachment i mean what do you remember that whole thing a few years ago what was it like article 13 and the eu parliament that was set to that was a whole thing about copyright and it would basically give claimants or come even like more power to, but that just sort of fell through. I think I haven't heard anything about that in a good few years. Um, yeah. What yeah. tends to happen is they raise a really stupid idea because they don't know it's stupid. Someone tells them it's stupid and they drop it. Yeah. Um, probably. It, it happened in America as well. They were trying to essentially privatize the internet. Right. Um, uh, and they were trying that for a couple of years in Congress and eventually it's just dissipated yeah. um, because they realised it was an awful idea that was never going to work. So hopefully it won't get any worse, but equally it means that it's possibly not going to get much better either. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think where I stand with it now, you know, for, like the BBC, for example, if they want to monetize the videos because I'm using their clips, I'm like, OK, you know fair enough that it's your it's your content but it's the ones where it's like your videos blocked in all countries you're yeah. sort of like okay come on like <laughs> yeah is this video really gonna do do you know what i mean because i think the main the main the main thing is the aside from the visibility is the monetization and i think more creators would be fine with just well not fine they'd probably still fight back but you know they'd be more accepting if it was just the monetization but we've seen recently you know there's this huge thing of companies issuing these sweeping bans you know on videos saying oh you just can't be viewed anywhere i think that's what hurts more because you've put the time and effort into this video in some cases like you know you said hours and hours and then all of a sudden someone should just go nah not going to be seen by anyone it's just like well how you know that's not giving anyone a fair a fair chance really um i think yeah. the the most ludicrous part you're absolutely right the most ludicrous part about all of it is that doctor who in particular is a show that survives solely from its fan base um sure. it's got such a a passionate and creative fan base and there are bad parts of it sure but even the bad parts are, are still people that are helping to prop up the show um and to then be to be blocking videos which are essentially promoting the show that when we have these years which are becoming increasingly more frequent um where there's just no doctor who on tv the stuff that's on youtube is is one of the only things that keeps people excited about the show and, and in the loop on what's going on so yeah. to be essentially you know biting the hand that feeds you and, and just uh, showing such lack of interest i think the thing you have to remember is that there's a difference between the copyright uh, department at BBC Studios and the people that made Doctor Who. You know, we're yes. talking about two to totally separate groups of people. It's not Chris Chibnall or somebody sitting there <laughs> being yeah. horrible to the fans. But it's still BBC, you know, and and they make so much money from it as well. And, and to to mistreat your your own yeah. fans to that degree, and as you say, when you put so much time and effort into it, to to have it blocked is just and it has happened to me before. Is is just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it's an ongoing problem and we can only hope as the years go on that it, you know, obviously I want to be fair to the copyright holders, of course, but I just, there needs to be a greater understanding from the creator's side of you as well, I think. I feel it's just mm -hmm. sort of swept under the rug, but um, yeah. So, I don't you know. want to be fair to the copyright holders. But, uh, <laughs> okay, can, that's fair. You, that's fair. I'll be the, fair. the undiplomatic side. No, that's, of the... Hey, you, you have your stance, I'll have mine. That's we can go to war. Enough. 
<laughs> we can go to war. Um, well, one thing um, I don't know if it, it well, if you want to discuss it here, is that sure. um, soon uh, or in the near future, you have a uh, new scripted series coming up, I believe. Well, it's in the works. It's in um, the works, yeah. Obviously, we like, do, yeah. Yeah, feel free. I don't know how much you want to reveal at this stage. It's completely up to you, but... it's a, Yeah, it's a good point. It's not something I've thought about how much I would want to give away about <laughs> it. Um, I will say that we're working on something that I think hasn't been done in the Dot 2 community, for sure, hmm. and probably hasn't really been done at all on YouTube. Um and yeah, it's a scripted series, which is quite strange, I think, for for this area. Um, it's a comedy, and um, it will hopefully be starring the other man on your screen. Hello. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh, along with myself and a couple of other um, great cast members. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's uh, we've written the pilot episode already. We're going to shoot that, and it's going to be a... Well, I think we're planning on six episodes, but we don't know for yeah. sure yet. Um but I don't think I want to reveal too much more than that. It's a comedy. It's mm-hmm. it's about Doctor Who, but it's not. If if your grandma's asking about it but doesn't watch Doctor Who, she can still watch this yes. this show yeah. uh, and find it hopefully funny and engaging. But it is about Doctor. I'd say it's about Doctor Who in the same way that um, Plebs is about the Roman Empire. It, sure, it's set it's set in the Roman Empire, um, but that's about the extent of it. It's just a comedy beyond that. You know? Yeah. Um, well, there you go. Yeah. Watch, watch this space. I thought I'd just sprinkle that in there, but yes, I'll, yeah, I'll be yeah. involved as well. But yeah, I think it's something that the listeners will really enjoy, especially if you're a Doctor Who fan. But like Lewis said, you don't have to be. You don't have to be a Who fan to enjoy it. So yeah, keep that space watched. But um, speaking of Doctor Who, come on then, Lewis. How did you get into this crazy little sci-fi show? Because I feel everyone has a different way in almost, don't they? Everyone has like a different story. Sure. Well, I was four years old when... Mm. When did the first episode air? December time? What was it? Oh, it was... I think Rose was March 2005, sometime around there. Yeah, I was three years old. Oh, blimey. (laughs) That's aging me a little bit, but yes. (laughs) Um, But I did watch the first episode on broadcast um, as a little three-year-old, purely because both of my parents are fans, particularly my mum, always watched it as a kid John Pertwee and, and then Tom Baker um, yeah. and she would you know do the all the usual hiding behind the sofa um, <laughs> she always tells me the story interestingly I'd like to know if there's anyone else that's heard this from their parents or ha- has the experience himself she actually found the title sequence scary that was the I've heard that... this yeah yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I, I don't know if she means because of the music or because of you know John Pertwee's face or body floating <laughs> through the Just, I don't know what it yeah. was um, uh, but, or maybe yeah. the the apprehension or the anticipation of, of what was going to come in the episode I'm not sure um, yeah and no, uh, it's odd, I think because of that um, it was just like well Doctor Who's back on we've got kids we've got a show in it um, and I just loved it instantly um, oh. and I've just watched every single episode on broadcast since so wow from three as... years old onwards that's impressive that's exactly. impressive yeah it's as simple as that um, yeah it's just so so even, so even when you were going through say like the eccleston and the tenant years then we're talking you know you're like three four five six mm. still quite you know still quite a young age yeah um 
for, to your memory then, because obviously that's probably the time in your life when you're probably going to be, you know, properly scared of something the most because it's all mm-hmm. new. Do you remember any, was there any particular moments or episode that you remember back then were like really scary for you? Well, see, as you said, at that age, I was scared of every single episode. Um, <laughs> right, bless you. <laughs> but, and I'm, I mean, I don't do, I'm, I'm writing a horror film at, at the moment, um, which, so that's because of that, to get inspiration, I've been watching some horror films, reading horror novels, and they still scare me now. So I'm not, I'm not good with that sort of stuff. Um, so everything creeped me out. Um, I'm trying to remember if, I remember that, for me personally, I think the Matt Smith era was uh, more scary than, oh, than earlier on. Okay. So I actually remember more specific examples of being scared by stuff, even though I was older in the Matt Smith era. Um, I remember specifically that I saw the trailer for Night Terrors at the end of the previous episode. I don't remember what the previous episode was, but mm. um, and, and the dolls, obviously, the, the peg dolls in, in uh, Night Terrors. And I remember actually turning to my parents and saying, I'm not watching that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I did. I did watch that one. Yeah. Um, and it, it was fine. But uh, I'm trying to think. I remember Midnight always scared me. Um, yeah. The moment where she's kind of huddled in the corner and not oh, looking man. at them yet. The, <laughs> the, the anticipation of that was... That always scared me. Um, yeah. I never found the Daleks or the Cybermen scary, even as a four or five-year-old kid. That's so interesting, because, of course, those... Well, I guess some of this generation, but those were always the ones in the classic series, wasn't it, where people would Mm. say, oh, yeah, Daleks and the Cybermen run behind the sofa, all that sort of thing. But I do know a lot of people who, even as kids, you know, would say, oh, yeah, I'm not that bothered by the Daleks and the Cybermen. They liked them, but they weren't, like, scared of them. No, they're more like um, action villains than... Yeah. Sort of horror villains if you like and i don't know if that's because in comparison to other villains of the modern series they're tame um or maybe we all i already had a, a more of a knowledge of them I, i'm really not sure yeah i think i was like that like because i'd after getting into the eccleston series then i started to learn about the classic series and stuff so i already you know i'd learned about the daleks and the cybermen so then when the cybermen appeared in series two i was like oh i know what these are um Mm. you know i'll buy the action figure and all that but as an adult i actually find that two-parter in series two quite chilling because obviously there's a lot of focus on like the body horror element and Mm. uh what it means to be a cyberman and i think that's a scary con do you know what i mean like that's a chilling concept yeah it's a shame i think it doesn't get played on in well it has recently but it doesn't get played on enough i think i think um those kind of more intelligent horrors uh, psychological horrors go over your head as a as a kid. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. So you yeah you're not gonna be you're not gonna really pick up on that. Uh, you you might think it's gross, but you're not really gonna be haunted by yes. You know when when he's picking the brains out of the the, the dead Cyberman in in Age of Steel. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah that's gonna affect you more as an adult. So it is the the more obvious stuff the the jump scares and and the creepy looking scarecrows or whatever that that get you as a kid. Um, yeah, on the Cybermen, I don't know. I think it has been done quite a lot. I think we've had two two-part sto- stories that have already delved into that. Mm. Um, I'm not quite sure how much more you could go into it without retreading the same ground, to be honest. I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, I just... I, I, maybe it's the taste of, like, some of the, like, Moffat-era Cybermen stories use the Cybermen a lot as just sort of, like, cannon fodder. 
And mm. which is, you know, they can be a good like army, but I think when it happened like, you know, again and again, it's sort of like, okay, like there are you know, there are more to these yeah. guys than just being an army and then being cannon fodder. I think that's maybe where that frustration comes from. But I do see your point. Yeah, oh. if you did it every time, I think yeah, you'd be you'd be retreading different steps. But I don't know. I still think there is a bit more to be explored, at least on, on TV. Um, but yeah, I who think knows? at the moment, um, there's certainly more room. I don't know in terms of the body horror, but I think there's certainly more room to delve into just the technology concept. Mm. I think Rise of Cybermen did it very well at the time. I, the scene, for example, where everyone has their earpieces in and they get delivered their daily news and then their yeah. daily joke and everybody laughs at the same time. That's really great dystopian mm. writing. Yes. Um, and I think in our modern day where we're more entrenched in mobile phones and, and Zoom and all sorts of different types of technology, um, there's definitely potential for uh, more social stories. I think ignoring all the, the sort of fake controversy around political stuff in the sure, recent sure. years with the Whitaker era, there actually isn't much social um, science fiction writing in the recent series, in my opinion. Sure. Uh, there's, there's some stuff about political issues, but mm. I think Russell T Davies was the best actually, or did it the most, talking about social issues, uh, whether that's like the Slovene um, mm. and talking about the government there or talking about technology with um, Rise of Cybermen or uh, obesity and adipose and how that's abused. Um, I would quite like to see more of that, to be honest. And I think the Cybermen are a perfect example to do that. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. I, I feel, for me personally, like just using a series 12 as an example, um, I, I'd argue maybe there are some like social uh, writing cues in there, but it feels more like on a on a personal level rather than like you say, like, you know, about the government or or mm. thing or wider things, if that makes sense. Like, uh, you know, there's like, can you hear me where you're dealing with people's like inner thoughts? You know, Ryan's got his mm. thing going on and so has Yaz and... Um, do you know what I mean? So I'd argue it's like it, it feels mm. I, I get me. Maybe it's not as pronounced and maybe it should be going forward. But just I think what we've gotten so far, in my opinion, anyway, feels like more of a like closed in chat about. It's more about like the individual yeah. rather than the uh, the bigger picture, I guess. But but it's what works for different people. Like I personally found series 12 quite fun for the most part. Um, I, I think I don't need to uh, make big secret that there's a lot of people who didn't find it fun, which is, you know, yeah. that's completely fair enough. That is, that's okay. Um, what have you thought about this? Um, because of course, at the time we're recording, it's been announced that Jody and Chris Chibnall are leaving again. We don't know their replacement and Sod's Law, I bet you when this comes out, it would have been announced, but the time of recording, it's, <laughs> it's still unknown. Um, but as this era is drawing to a close, you know, we've still got series 13, we've still got the various specials. Um, what have you thought of this era so far? And how would you want, if you were in charge, want to see it sort of close out? Good question. Well, for the first part of the question, um, I thought series 12 was a huge improvement on series 11. Sure. Me. When I say words like better and improvement, I mean, personally speaking, I, I, I don't personally believe there's such a thing as good and bad in, in TV and film. Objectively mm. good, I think, is nonsense. Sure. Um, so when I, just to be clear when I'm saying that, I'm just saying No, 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 of opinion. course. Of course. Um, yeah, Series 12 I thought was a lot better. Um, I thought the reintroduction of, of story arc elements um, made it a lot more interesting just for a fan like me. I'm aware that someone, 
that was only a casual fan or, or not really a fan at all would have found some of the timeless child stuff not only confusing but very boring sure um you know sort of essentially the finale is 40 minutes of standing still um <laughs> talking about gallifrey uh, which for me i was i was on the edge of my seat because i'm interested <laughs> in that sort of yeah, thing yeah yeah but you know from a purely tv writing point of, of course, view which is yeah. what i do as a as a study and as a profession it, well it's not top grade stuff in my opinion um but I really enjoyed all of that stuff. Uh, and I thought having returning monsters and I thought it seems strange to me. This is one of the main things that that keeps coming into my head when people ask me about what I think about the series is it very much seems from a marketing point of view that they're putting out this message that Chibnall had a very clear plan of what he wanted to do with three series. Yeah, yeah. We, we heard the term five-year plan, and now more recently with the announcement that him and Jodie are leaving, we found out that they actually made a pact to leave after three series. Yes. So it's very much clear that, that he had five years, three series, all planned out. But then when you watch the show, it really doesn't feel like it, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Sorry, just to interrupt, was the five-year plan, was that, because I can't remember, was that a direct quote from Chibnall, or was that... That was actually a Chibnall quote, yes. Okay, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah. But he gave no more information than that, just that he had a five-year plan, which a lot of people were thinking, well, that's 2018, that takes us to 2023, so that must be the 60th anniversary. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Which we found out now is not the case. Um, yeah. Because he'll be gone bef- in late next year, I think. So. Yes. That um, was it, yeah. But it feels very much like series eleven is trying one thing, and then series twelve tries something at the total other end of the the spectrum. Because we mm. go from a series with no story arc, I think no returning monsters, um, or or returning mm. characters, um, and then we go to series twelve and we have returning monsters we have captain jack returning the master returning um we have loads of story art loads of lore it feels like you've just gone from there to there in yeah in the space of one series and if that's a plan that's a weird plan um, yeah sure and I've, i saw a lot of people sort of compare the the shift in a way to uh sylvester mccoy's first two series how you know mm. season 24 is very not necessarily in terms of, well, in a way, in terms of story art, but you know how it's very obviously very comedic and very light on its feet, which again, some people love it. I, I, I actually like it more when I watched it recently than I than I used to. Um, but then obviously, season twenty five is a lot more like serious about itself. It's a lot darker. It starts setting up those that thing of the Doctor being like a mysterious manipulator. It starts putting things in place for Ace. And I guess I, I sort of see what they mean. Like it, it, back then, I imagine you, know, you watch it in 1987 and think, "Oh, this is like mm. a pantomime." And then in 1988, it's like, "Whoa, okay, we've just like we've gone the complete opposite direction." Would you agree? It's maybe sort of like that. How people are finding it that sort of that sort of extreme opposite shift in a way. Yeah, and and I think maybe the main difference there is that you also have a shift in character, which I don't think is the case in in what we've got with series 11 and 12. I do think that the Doctor's character and the Companion's characters are consistent, so you wouldn't feel so much of a jolt watching it as you would do watching the series back back with uh, with Sylvester McCoy. Mm. Um, but yeah, from a tonal point of view, it's very similar. And I think you can... In that case, I think it's because there's there's changes going on behind the scenes. I mean, we all know how turbulent it was back then. Yes, um, yeah. And, and how much trouble they were having with uh, with the higher ups. And, with just and everything. Everything was with everything, to get literally yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, whereas here, we, we seem to, it seems to be very solid. I mean, the current uh, head of programming or whatever the, the, the title is, um, Pierce Wenger, um, was uh, a producer, an executive producer on, on Dot 2. So it seems like they're very much in favour of the show and, sure, and they always yeah. put out positive messages and about it. And, and it seemed like Chibnall was very much given free reign. Um, so I think that's why it feels stranger. Given the context back then, you can see, oh, I can see why it flipped from one extreme to the other. Here, it, it seems like it was just Chibnall's decision, which is a strange one. But, you know, going back to your original question, I, I've, I didn't really enjoy Series 11. Sure. Um, but I have to say, in all honesty, that I haven't really solidly enjoyed the show for quite a long time anyway. Okay. Um, there's been episodes from Series 6 to Series 9 that I've loved, but through that period of Series 6 to 9 there's a lot of episodes that I didn't like and the, the whole way the show was being run, I didn't really like. So it's not been a case for me where, you know, you see a lot of people online saying, I'll oh, bring back Moffat. Yeah. Bring yeah, back yeah. Capaldi and all this kind of stuff, which ironically, they're the same people that were saying to get rid of them. a few. It's, years it's ago. a repeating cycle, um, unfortunately, isn't it? Yeah. So it's always, it always has happened. It's always going to happen. And yeah, it's mm-hmm. one of those sad things, but so like you say, series six to nine, that was really like where you say they started to not, necessarily enjoy everything um one thing i've asked guests before and i like i know it happened to me um do you think part of it coincided with like a shift into like being a teenager because i remember when i went into my teenage years which was in the matt smith era um i still watched the show every week you know and i still um enjoyed it on like a base level at least but i found myself being very like increasingly like cynical about the show and uh, mm. whereas in the RTD era, granted, I was a bit younger, but I, I just sort of, you know, sat there and absor- absorbed it for what it was. And I and I had a great time. So do you, do you think that happened? So I'm not saying it's the main reason, but do you think maybe that happened somewhat with you as well? Or were, were there other things like what was the shift basically for you? Do you know what I mean? What 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 made it for you where it stopped being a thrill every week to it being like, mm. oh, well, I've watched that and it's not it's not something I necessarily like. I don't think it it was to do with age, to be honest, because I was still very young mm. when Series 6 was rolling in. Um, and I've always been a, a massive nerd. There was no period <laughs> where there was no period where that, that dropped off. That's where fair, I went. I respect I'm t- I'm that. Too, you know, I never went, oh, I'm too cool for this. You know, um, I was always into lots of nerdy stuff and yeah. I always have been. So there was never really any dip in enthusiasm for nerdy TV or anything at, at any point. Mm. Um, I think it was just the show. Okay. Um, uh, the way that Moffat wrote his, his series, not necessarily his episodes, but his series, um, would just wasn't for me. And I think the reason I know that and that it wasn't to do with the, the timing is because I can go back and watch them now and I still get that same feeling. Sure, yeah, um, yeah. I can jump from series five to series six and I can feel that difference for me. Um, there's still some brilliant stuff, don't get me wrong. And there was never a point where I was like, I'm going to stop watching Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, there's there's so many great episodes in there. Like some of my favourite episodes, especially in the Capaldi era, like Mummy on the Orient Express. Great, yeah. Heaven Sent. Yes. I just, just some of my favourite episodes ever in there. Um, but just the overall writing of the characters and the story arcs just... So that's something I'm really enjoying about the current show is that it feels a lot less messy for me yeah. uh, than it did back then. It feels a lot cleaner, a lot simpler. Um, 
and, and that the stories aren't being bogged down in all of this conflict and story arc that I wasn't really into. Yeah, I know a lot of people feel the Whitaker era has been like a nice sort of fresh start again, mm. um, in the sense that a lot of the, well, maybe not in series 12, but in series 11, like a lot of the existing continuity wasn't thrown out the window, of course, but just wasn't relied on so much. Mm. I guess, again, it's sort of similar to what happened in the mid 80s around like, you know, Colin Baker's time where, you know, there's you, uh, uh, Colin's great, but a lot of those stories, it's like reference bingo, like, oh, what are they gonna, what are they gonna <laughs> mention this week? Oh, it's, it's like Tomb of the Cybermen. Oh, look, it's a picture of John Pertwee on the wall. Wink, wink, nut. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's fine. I think, I think continuity references in a show like Doctor Who, again, just my personal opinion, is I think they work best when, when they are there, but they're not on the nose. Like, you know, um, Time Lash, again, John Pertwee on a wall and him going, oh, that was an adventure I had once and with so-and-so. That maybe is a bit too on the nose for like a casual viewer. But mm. um, I don't know, maybe like a throwaway line, like one who um, one that always sticks out. I think it's in, is it The, the Woman Who Lived? You know, with uh, Maisie Williams, the second part of that two-parter. Um, she mentions The Great Fire of London and she goes, oh, that was you, wasn't it? And he goes, no, that was the Terileptals, which of course is a heart back to the a classic story. But I felt like it wasn't, they didn't make this big thing of it. It was just, they mentioned mm. it and then they moved on. Do you know what I mean? So I think that works well. Like if you're a casual viewer, you go, oh, that sounds like an alien race. Cool. But if you're a fan, you can go, oh, I know what the, do you know what I mean? I feel that's the, yeah. that's the best kind of continuity reference for me. But um, I know everyone's different. Everyone has their, their preferences. Um, so with series 12 then, which of course in, reintroduces, like you said, a lot of, returning characters returning monsters established did, did you think all the continuity stuff was too much too soon or well i'm a, a kind of an annoying headspace that i think a lot of people are that are involved in youtube and that where i'm over analyzing and and because i'm a writer as well i've got like another reason to be over analyzing and thinking about behind the scenes and oh what's the casual audience thinking about this sure, what's sure. the hardcore fan thing about which you shouldn't be doing when you're watching a pro the only question you should have is, what am I thinking about this while you're watching something? Um, yeah. But unfortunately, I try my best to shape those, but I can't. And that, and that was one thought I had through Series 12 was, for someone that's not a big fan, this is, just doesn't make much sense. Uh, <laughs> and, and there's no reason to be engaged in it either. Um, yeah. I think you can get away with the master, because I think yeah. pretty much everyone knows who the master is, um, even you know casual people. And even if you don't, like, he's clearly, like, a, yeah. an evil you get pantomime who the ma- villain. You get who the you master get... is, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, like, all the Gallifrey stuff and it, that being destroyed, like, the scene where she's she's sort of standing outside the TARDIS and it's that, you know, really pretty auburn um, mm. view and everything's burning and you can see it in the reflection in her eye. looks great and it's a big moment. But for someone that doesn't really watch the show or has never seen it before, it's like... You know, there's no reason to care about that moment. It's not built up to at all. It's yeah. just like, there it is. Um, and it just doesn't really make any sense. So, unfortunately, I have that sort of playing in my head. For me... Oh, no, that's valid. Uh, that's valid. I enjoyed it. I thought it was all good. I'm a bit tired of Gallifrey, personally, because it's been destroyed and undestroyed and destroyed and undestroyed <laughs> at this point, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I can't really... in my. I, I do know the lore. I know what, what happened. But, like, in my head, it's like, 
is everyone dead or not i'd like i don't really wasn't everyone dead anyway and you know yeah it's it's um, a weird gray area now isn't it and yeah maybe they they could leave it for a few years or not who knows but hey series 13 who knows what's gonna happen in it might all have been a lie it might all have been for nothing so um yeah, i would I, quite like that just from just from a boldness point of view by chip sure. to just go <laughs> Yeah, no, I was just joking. Could you be... imagine what social media would be like? If exactly. That oh my goodness! Like <laughs> I would be sitting back, just cracking my knuckles, just having a great time watching the, the chaos on Twitter. Oh, the uh, I would love that. Oh, we'll have to see how it develops. But as said, um, at the time we're recording this, touch wood, it won't get announced before the episode's out. But um, we don't know who the fourteenth Doctor will be, and we don't know who the new showrunner will be. Um, mm. But um, I think it's only right to ask him, if you were in charge, have you got anyone you'd like immediately jump to for either role? Have you thought, oh, I'd like to see them in the part or in the role? Well, my long-term suggestion, which is someone I, I've been wanting to do it for absolutely ages, is Matthew Bainton. Um, oh, okay. Who, for those unfamiliar, uh, he's part of the Horrible Histories troupe. He is. Um, and Ghosts, more recently, uh, is, is what he's probably famous for at the moment um he was also in well he's been in lots of great stuff uh he was in the wrong man's with james corden um and he was in um you me in the apocalypse mm. it's a, a sky original show from a few years ago it's got a really brilliant cast in it no one's seen it so go, <laughs> go and watch it <laughs> if anyone's listening to this now because i feel really bad because it was a great show and no one watched it to the point where they didn't make a second series oh, no. um so i'm sorry you will be slightly disappointed when you get to the end of the first series and it leaves on a cliffhanger oh no it's like resolved. class all over again <laughs> exactly um yeah. but it's a brilliant show and it it showed because for anyone that is familiar with matthew bainton the obvious question will probably be well can he act uh you know in a serious role sure. because he's only done comedy and to me i'd say two things one watch that show because there are serious moments in it and he's great um and two so many comedy actors are just classically trained actors are, that are yeah. great great at acting uh i mean we've seen it time and time again in just doctor who matt lucas and Catherine tate absolutely um and so many other guest stars as well that you think oh can they do serious acting yeah they can mm. um and you see it all the time with in all sorts of other shows, people making that jump over. And every time people go, I'm not sure if they can do serious acting. And pretty much every time it's proven that they can. Yeah. Um, so for me, I would I think he's got um, a, a sort of kooky energy to him, the Doctor meets. Um, I think he could play a slightly cowardly version of the Doctor mm-hmm. that we haven't seen bef- in the modern series. We haven't seen yet. Um, Patrick Troughton would be the obvious example. Um, well, or Colin Baker in the twin dilemma uh, for, a, for a few minutes <laughs> oh, when he's yes. carrying with behind Perry. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think he'd be brilliant. Um, he is also very, I think the doctor needs to be funny as well. Hmm. Um, and uh, obviously he can do that, that part of it. Uh, and I would quite like to see the kind of dashing running around doctor again. That I don't think we've had since Matt Smith really. Sure. Um, Cause Peter Capaldi obviously being older and Jodie Whittaker in the way that her show's directed is very static. Uh-huh. Um, so it would be cool to see a Doctor running around a little bit more again and I think he'd be great at that. I could see him in a like old school Victorian get-up or something similar to what he wears in Ghosts. No, good choice. Um, it's funny you mention someone who has ties to horrible histories and ghosts because uh, 
a few weeks ago on this show, we had Lee Binding, an illustrator who does the art for like the Blu-rays and stuff. And when I asked him this same question, he said, oh, do you know what? He said, give the show running role to the whole like Ghost's Horrible Histories team. Oh, wow. And I was like, that'd be quite a cool, just with how Ghost That's... and Horrible Histories is. I was like, that could be quite cool, actually. Like, you know, yeah, that... well, I'd be up for that. Yeah. So... That's a brilliant. There you That's go. A brilliant Showrunners and Lee. But who's who's have you got a showrunner pick yourself? Anyone sprung to mind or other than myself? Um, of course, of course. <laughs> we all want I, to run the show. So. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't think anyone on the current show, on Chibnall's run, has proved themselves enough where I would say, yes, they should go and do it. Okay. Um, maybe Series 13 will change that because we've got a few people that have written one or two episodes for... Um, I can't remember the name of the, the woman that wrote um, The Haunting of Villa Diodati. I think um, it's uh, Maxine Alderton. I think right, and she she previously yeah. done script editing, I believe. Yes, um, yeah. In the previous series, um, maybe if she has another really good episode in this series, I'd be able to go. Oh well, she can clearly write Doctor Two. I think yeah. she should do that. But I don't think there's anyone from that run. I wouldn't like to see because Mark Gattis comes up a lot and uh, Neil Gaiman comes up a lot. Um, I just for, don't think either of them would do it really. Well, I I don't, I don't know. know. For the Mark Gattis one, I think it would be too similar to um, Moffat's run. Yeah. For me personally, I don't think it would be any... Doctor Who's always about doing something interesting, changing, moving. And yeah. I don't think that would be the right pick to do that. Neil Gaiman, he's very famously come out and basically said that both times he tried to write a Doctor Who episode, it went terribly wrong. Um <laughs> Uh, I mean, he's the first episode he wrote, people love, but he, he publicly came out and said that Stephen Moffat basically rewrote it all for him and put in all yeah. the good lines, and that he really <laughs> right. struggled. And the second time, he said that it left a bad taste in his mouth and that um, he uh, he didn't he didn't go the way he wanted it to. So sure. if he's struggling that much, whether that's because of the execs he's bouncing off of or whatever, um, to write a single episode, I really don't want to see him try and write a whole series. Um, yeah, that's fair, so, that's fair. But that's all I can do, really, is rule out other people's suggestions. Yeah, because... I, I know a lot of people have suggested from the Whitaker era, like I've heard suggestions of, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, but it, Pete McTighe, is it McTighe? Pete McTighe. Sorry, Pete yeah, McTighe. I think Silence. it's McTighe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've heard, because I think he also works on the collection range of the of the mm. classic Blu-ray, so he's, he's a fan, clearly, and I've heard... Um, Vinay Patel as well, which I actually be quite mm. interested in myself, like because I do like Vinay's uh, not just his Who stuff. I've read some of like the like the stage stuff he's done and just a little bit. I I just really like his writing style, so I I'd be open to that. Um, but yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. I think a lot of people are assuming it is going to be a writer from the current era, when I think it might not necessarily be. Um, they well, could go completely left field. It might not be an assumption so much as people don't know anyone else to suggest. Um, that might because it's a more obvious place to go. You know, it's mm. if you look outside, it's very difficult to think of of who it might be. Um, yeah. I've seen suggestions of a very famous um, showrunners. Um, Charlie Webber is that his name that did Black Mirror? Oh, is it uh, Charlie, Char Charlie, Charlie Brooker, Brooker? Yeah, Charlie yeah. Brooker. Uh, yeah. I've seen that one come up a lot. And um, was it Sally Wainwright? Was another one as well? Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that's yeah. probably out of all of the. Um, suggestions that's the one I'd be most interested in seeing um, yeah. but for me personally there's no one that's obvious that because there's such little science fiction TV that gets yes. made uh, in British yeah. TV in, at, in at Britain least. yeah um, 
that there isn't really any other examples where you can go, oh, well, they wrote Blake 7, so let's have them write Doctor Who. Um, there's nothing like that really anymore. Yeah. So um, no, I really fair. don't know. So my answer is me. Hire me. <laughs> there you go, BBC, if you're listening. Um, but the last question to close off on this point, because I do, I've seen this come up a lot in on social media. I think it's an interesting point. Um, in the revival series exclusively, the three showrunners have been lifelong fans. You know, they've <laughs> grown up with the show, they've loved the show, and they've helped bring it back. Do you think? Bit the showrunner, not not the doctor. I think that can go either way. But with the showrunner, do you think the showrunner needs to be an existing fan of the program, or do you think they can get someone who maybe has, you know, a great, you know, great uh, back catalogue of stuff they've done, you know, can easily make television, but isn't necessarily a doctor fan. Not, I don't mean that they hate it, but you know, they're they're not like mm. an avid viewer, so to speak. Where where do you sort of sit on that? I think exactly what you just said at the end. I was just going to say. You don't want to get someone in that doesn't like that hates the show, that, yeah. that thinks it's beneath them. Yes. Um, yeah. That that it's you know it's children's TV or it's cheap TV or whatever because you will end up with a bad product. I think, mm. but I don't see anything wrong with handing it to someone that's not a big fan of the show. I mean, if you look at the classic series, oh, being God, a yeah. fan of the show wasn't wasn't really so much of a thing back then for an older person. Um, you handed it over to another professional that was good at writing TV and you gave them the show Bible and told them these are the things you meant to stick to. And they went and made, you know, Terrence Dix or Robert Holmes or whoever took over and did a few years of the show. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't see anything wrong with just handing it over to a good TV writer and seeing what they can yeah. do. With it. I think in the classic series, John Nathan Turner was probably the closest to what you'd call a fan, probably because he'd, mm. he'd worked on it before. And obviously he was very involved with like the, convention stuff and he knew a lot about the you know the lore of the show and the backstory so i'd say he was probably the closest to what you'd call a fan i don't think he considered himself that but um yeah i certainly think all the other classic who producers before him wouldn't have called themselves fans necessarily so yeah, yeah. i think you're right it just my, my view is very similar to yours just think if you can if you've proven to make good television and you sort of relish the challenge of taking this on then go for it and i think it's the same with the doctor you know I think you don't have to have watched every single episode or even watched it as you were growing up. I think, you know, if you can act, if you can prove that you can act and give a fresh take on this character. Because, I mean, was it the classic examples like uh, Eccleston? He said he didn't really watch it. He saw, like, snippets mm. when he was a kid. Uh, Matt Jody Smith, as well. Matt Smith and Jodie, yeah. But they, I guess they grew up in, like, the wilderness years mainly. So that's that's mm. fair enough in a way. But, yeah, I, I don't... I've never... Under, like, people can have their opinions, of course, but I've just never understood that argument of you know oh you have you know you have to you must be a doctor who fan to be the doctor mm. or be the showrunner because i just think you you don't it's the simplest answer to that for the doctor you definitely don't i mean you're an actor you're given a script you do yeah. the script you know there's yeah. there's really no need to be a fan of the show for the showrunner i do understand the argument because it is a very delicate thing that people will get very angry about um, if you get in it terms wrong of yeah. all the details of the show yeah so um well, people get angry about it, whether you get it wrong or not. <laughs> yeah, this is true. But I mean, I think with the internet now, though, like there's, you know, there's no, there's no excuse for not doing your research, I guess. You know, if I mm. was a, I'd like to think if I was a showrunner who didn't really know anything about the past and wanted to fact check something, I could, I could do that. Do you know what I mean? Whereas maybe back in the old days, you'd literally need, as they did, like fans who, who knew and were there. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I'm curious to see who it is, though. 
we'll we'll have to wait and see. As I say, Sod's Law, by the time this is out, it's probably all been announced and this <laughs> we, was and this we was should all refresh for Twitter right now. We should now. refresh Twitter. I'm just right gonna make now. sure you never know. It hasn't popped up. Hasn't popped up. No, we're, we're okay. good. Well, we're safe. Folks who are listening, if by the time you're listening it's already out, I mean, I would say I'm sorry, but we're not. we you've, you've you've heard our takes anyway. Who we'll see we'll see if we're right. Well, before, Lewis, before we start to round off the show today, uh, with everyone I've been chatting with recently who's a Who fan, um, I'd like to ask uh, three questions, which I've labeled as the three ones, because they all involve the word one in the title. So um, the first one is called The One I Love. Now, this is the story that it doesn't necessarily have to be your all time favorite. But it's a story that, you know, you can go back to it time and time again. It doesn't grow stale. It feels just as fresh the first time you watched it. Or if you like, you know, all the Who stories are burning and you've got to save that one. So any Doctor Who story, classic or modern, which is the one you love? Well, I feel like you should go with the one that comes to mind because that's the Absolutely. thing that's, you know, in your heart. And yeah. two came to mind immediately, which is it. Partners in Crime. Nice. Um, and the end of time. Now, oh, okay. I understand there's lots of people that hate the end of time, <laughs> but, I, but yeah. I don't really care. I also don't really understand why. Um, end of time is makes me a lot more emotional, obviously, because of what happens. And to me, it is like the ultimate moment of Doctor Who. The whole ending sequence yeah. uh, with the four knocks and everything after that is just the the peak of Doctor Who, in my opinion. Um, so you feel like, well, you have to say it's, it's that one. But if we're talking about the one that I can just watch over and over and just always brings me comfort, um, I think I'd have to say the partners. Partners in crime. It's got to be partners in Good crime. Good choice. Good um, choice. It's just, it's always, always funny. Um, always heartwarming. It's really emotional and sad as well in, in lots of different places. You don't really remember until you watch it because everyone thinks about the the scene where they're on either side of the room yes, and they're doing yeah. a little mime. And, and it's, that's brilliant. But there's so much else in the story that, that you miss. For me, that's like the start of the perfect series of Doctor Who. So I think I'd have to say that one. Good choice. And yeah, so you're right. I think that whole arc with Donna, there are a lot of sad moments that you forget mm. until you rewatch it again. It's a very powerful story arc. So that's mm. a solid choice, Partners in Crime. Okay, so... The second one is called One and Done, which is pretty much the opposite. It's a story, you've seen it once, and you sort of think, I'm probably not going to watch that again unless I have to, or if it's for a video. Do you know what I mean? One that you don't think you'll revisit for a very, very long time. That is a good question. My mind goes immediately to the classic series. Because sure, sure. if you find one you don't like in the modern series... You may watch it again because it's only 45 minutes. You might want to give it another go. If sure. you find one you really don't like and it's six parts long, <laughs> you're never going to touch it again. Sure, sure. Um, so my mind immediately goes to like the worst of the William Hartnell or Patrick Trout the era. Um, sure. Maybe the web planet that comes Ooh, to mind straight away. Okay, Some people planet. really like it. I don't know what drugs they were on when they watched it. Um <laughs> It's just a bunch of wasps flying around, men in wasp costumes flying around and <laughs> making weird noises. There's a video on my channel called Doctor Who in the Web Planet. If yeah. It's my worst video and I love it. <laughs> um, if, you, if you want to look at my channel, just go and watch Doctor Who in the Web Planet. But anyway, um, it's um, there's probably a worse one than that and there's probably a more boring one than that. 
uh, that I could pick. But off the top of my head, yeah. one I'm never going to watch again is Doctor Who and the Web Planet. The web, pla- the web Planet is just one of those where you sort of, you know, you watch it and I go like, well, they tried, you know, <laughs> like they, they gave it a damn good go for 1965. But no, I get that. I know I know a lot of people find, especially like the Hartnell and Trout and stuff, the longer stuff, like you say, if it doesn't mm-hmm. captivate them, then it, it, it loses them, which I do get, you know, 60s TV was very different back then, I guess, as well, wasn't it? And mm-hmm. it was meant to be watched, I guess, one a week rather than sat down and watched yeah. in a two and a half hour binge i guess but um yeah yeah no that's fine that's cool the web planet it is i think the worst the other thing i can say about it is if you ask me now what actually happens what's the plot yeah i cannot tell you a thing (laughs) not a thing oh something to do with ants fighting butterflies or something like that. exactly yeah (laughs) something like that okay not okay i've noted that down and finally it's back to square one and this is you have a friend or an acquaintance who has never really watched Doctor Who before. They might know the show, but they've never seen an, an episode ever. So what story, again, classic or modern, are you going to be like, right, this is the first one I'm going to show you? Well, I'm not showing them classic Who to start <laughs> off with. I don't want to scare them off. Oh, first thing. We love classic Who. So <laughs> oh, I love classic Who. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a couple of obvious points. The 11th hour is the answer that everyone gives. Sure. Um, But to me, that's not my favourite era of of Doctor Who. So I don't know if you'd want to introduce, if I'd want to introduce someone to that. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's what what you'd want to introduce someone to, not what like the general, you know, consensus is. It's what you personally Mm. feel is the best, uh, almost appropriate story, whatever it is, to introduce someone to this crazy little sci-fi world. My, I'm tempted to say Rose. Okay. Because it's definitely not, it's not the strongest episode of series one, let alone the strongest opener to show somebody. Mm. But because it's not that good, but it has some good bits in it, that's true of quite a lot of Dot 2 episodes, I think. So sure, yeah. It's, it's all well and good trying to show The Midnight or Science in the Library or something like that. But one that's quite heavy doctor who you need to already be into the show before you go and watch that Absolutely. you don't want to waste like watching midnight as the first ever episode of doctor who um because i think it loses its its effect but mm. also you're not not every episode you're going to watch if you're going to watch the show all the way through is going to be as good as midnight or science in the library yeah um and then maybe they're going to tune out when they're disappointed that some of the episodes aren't as good later on so I'd say get them to watch Rose. If you can watch Rose and go, that's fun, I want to watch the next episode, then you're going to enjoy the rest of Dot 2. So I think Rose would be my... Good shout. Well, you got a real mix there. Partners in Crime, The Web Planet and Rose. Ever thought we'd see a trio of those What a marathon that is. Oh, God, could you imagine in that order as well? (laughs) Blimey. Oh, well, well, thank you for your answers. I'm just, I I like hearing different, because again, everyone's got a different answer for these. You know, everyone's got different experiences and different answers. So uh, thank you for sharing. Um, But before we round off today, Lewis, just um, what can we expect from you from the future, both in your channel or just in terms of other projects you're working on? What's coming up? Good question. Well, we spoke about the the series that hopefully will be coming out, a a comedy drama, dramedy, as they like to be called. Dramedy, yes. I I like that term. Uh, It's going to be called Time and Space, and it should be a six-part series starting with a pilot. it may be delayed a little bit because I am personally moving to university in like two days time, Mad. which you can't see because I've positioned, 
I position the camera very well. They're, this room is an absolute pigsty at the moment <laughs> with, with cardboard boxes and all sorts. Um, so because of that, there may be you know some moving back of it. But um, that will be coming out. And I think hopefully if people give it the time of, of day, um, that will be something really unique that, that people can get into. Otherwise, uh, we'll be carrying on with the reaction videos, the uh, Gallifrey Geeks game show. Um, will be there's a third episode in in the can already to be uh, uploaded at some point um, and also when series 13 comes out I'm inevitably going to have stuff to say about that so I'm sure oh, there'll be some we all will we all will exactly <laughs> there'll be some reviews hopefully no rants hopefully positive sure. reviews um, but there'll be something about that on my channel as for myself um, I'm writing always writing so I'm sure there'll be something and maybe hang on for eight to 15 years and you might see Lewis Leverett as Doctor Who showrunner hey, I'm, I'm vouching for it man I believe it, <laughs> I believe it just so when you are showrunner can I, l- let me have a part please um, <laughs> preferably the leading part but yeah just anything, I'll be background monster number 5 if you want but yeah, that'd be you can good. be a cyberman for me oh yes I'll be a cyber I'll put on my high heel <laughs> boots so I can meet the height requirement but yeah, you'll, have to, you'll have to flatten your hair as well for, uh, oh, to fit, well. fit in the cyber helmet Oh, that'll be a task in itself. That's <laughs> that's for sure. Oh, hey, so you got lots going on, which is fantastic. And um, I mean, first and foremost, thank you so much, Lewis, for dis- for coming on AMTV Radio. It's been a blast chatting with you. Um, but before we go, uh, if you'd like to shout out any any existing projects or your social medias, please feel free to do so. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great fun. I always like talking about Doc 2 and I always like talking about myself. So you've ticked both boxes <laughs> tick, tick, there good. for me. Um, well, what do I want to plug? Twitter, at FurbonWho. Um, simple as that. And same on YouTube as well. Um, new reaction video just came out. As I said, I think it's my favourite one that we've done so far. Also our longest one. It's practically the length of the episode. So you can just watch it like you're watching The Girl in the Fireplace. Nice. Um, and watch it through with everybody um other than that i think that's that's about it so just stay tuned for the the new doctor who stuff and yeah hopefully you'll, you'll see me about we have a discord as well you'll see that on the youtube and on the twitter mm. go and, and join in if you want to have a chat about doctor who or whatever else awesome awesome lovely well folks you heard it there first go and check lewis out on his social medias subscribe to him on youtube Ferb on who go and follow him on twitter Ferb on who as well wonderful and um if you'd like to keep up to date with this show first of all thank you for listening or watching if you're on youtube please hit subscribe leave us a like let me know your feedback in the comments we've got new episodes coming every week if you're listening audio only uh, there's no way to leave comments so you can either head to youtube and do that or let me know on twitter just tag me adam martin amtv but yeah thank you very much for listening and all that needs to be said now is once again lewis mate thank you so much for coming on today thank you for having me it's been good fun Glad to hear it, no problem. And for all of you lot listening and watching, I'll see you next time.